Amen. Wasn't that a great worship time? Let's give the Lord a round of applause, all right? And uh, it's great to have you here again, and uh, we have a special Sunday this Sunday as Johnny Hunt, Dr. Johnny Hunt, is going to come and bring our message. I'm so grateful, as I said in the first hour, to call him a friend and a, a mentor from a distance. He's helped me out a lot. He's always willing to listen, always willing to, to share what's going on in, in his life and his church as well. And he pastored First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, for 33 years. And during that 33 years, they grew from 200 to 6,400 in attendance. And uh, now he is the uh, vice president of evangelism and uh, pastoral uh, care at North American Mission Board, which is the arm of our convention that ministers to those in America, plants churches in America. And, uh, and so as he comes today, I'm telling you, the first, first hour, hope he brings the same message because it was, what a blessing it was to our, our people at 930. And I know you're going to want to uh, listen up, and I know you're going to enjoy and be challenged by the message today. So let's give Dr. Hunt a round of applause. Brother Johnny, if you'll come and deliver the God's word. Well, thank you, Pastor, and let me say what a joy it is to be with you. I am grateful to God. I have so enjoyed uh, myself already in the sense of worship. The worship was incredible. Uh, the songs uh, ministered to me. They even, I feel like, were used to affirm the message that I feel God would have me to share. I love your pastor, Dwayne and Pam have meant a lot to me, and they're uh, major encouragers in my life. Anytime I'm around them, we've been friends a long time, and I'm just grateful for them. Let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103. If you don't have a Bible, look it up on your phone. Uh, look on with someone that may have a Bible with you. I really want you to see it. You know, sometimes you can leave a service and say, what would you think about what that preacher said? Well, I want to be honest with you. I'm going to do my best to cause you to leave here saying it's what God said. I want to be a proclaimer of his word. And so uh, let, let me share a couple of things about the Psalms and see if I can draw you in. Uh, over 10 years ago, I started this habit of every single morning reading a chapter of the Psalms, and there's 150. So reading through the Psalms, one a day, and then I just start over again. Uh, the Psalms deal with just everything in life. Uh, they deal with our troubles and trials. They deal with illness. Uh, they deal with bad choices. And it really gives you helpful truth uh, to apply to your own life. Say, for instance, let me just share a couple of psalms with you, what's happening there. In Psalm chapter 3, for instance, it's referred to by scholars as a morning devotion. So what do you mean by that? In verses 1 and 2 of Psalm chapter 3, the psalmist is about to go to bed, and yet he's, he's overwhelmed. He says, uh, they say of me, there's no help of him, even of the Lord. And then the Bible says, the very next verse, that he went to bed and he slept, and he said when he woke up the next morning, though I have 10,000 enemies, I will not be afraid. God had done something significant in his life between when he fell asleep and when he woke up with the promises of God. Now, there's not a chronological order to the Psalms. Say, so what do you mean by that? Well, Psalms chapter 51 occurred before Psalms chapter 32. Now, periodically, when a Psalm was written, it spoke of such significant truth 
that I believe God knew would help us, that he would encourage the writer of that psalm to give that psalm to the chief musician down at at the temple. For instance, listen to this. Psalm 51, if you're familiar with that, it's David's confession of his sin with Bathsheba and how God had, had mercy on him and forgiven him of his sin. And then the Bible says that he gave it to the chief musician. It means that give this to the worship leader at the temple and they're going to sing it in one of their worship services. Question, wonder if David was present when the choir sang about his sin. By the way, have you ever heard a song in service and you felt, that's my song. (laughs) They sang that for me this morning. Hey, I hope y'all enjoyed it, but that was a special word just for me. And by the way, we often refer when a person trusts Christ as their Lord and Savior that they enter a personal relationship with him. And that's just how personal God is. That's why sometimes someone will say to you, I just read the best book in my life. You've got to read this. And you, you get into the first chapter and you think, I want to read it because I told him I would, but I'm just going to have to be liar, liar, pants on fire. I am not reading this. This is, it, it says nothing to me. Why? Because God used it to personally speak into their situation. So what's happening in Psalms 103? And I'm going to read it in a moment, but I want you to, to hear this because I feel like sometimes we can set it up. It may speak to right where you are. Listen to the first two verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. And you may say, what benefits? And by the way, you need to know what the benefits of trusting Jesus Christ are. Because they're not just temporal, they are eternal. Scholars say that they believe that when the psalmist ended, verse number two, that he laid down his sacred pen And then he raised his hand and he gave reference to five benefits as to why he ought to praise the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to walk you through five things. I was telling pastor in last service that I was over in a church in Dallas just a couple weeks ago. And pastor just said, it just happens to be one of those that has outrageous numbers of people that tune in online and he said you know pastor johnny if sometime you can just look toward the camera and and these are the words we use be concise be clear and be compelling and tell them what it means for a person to have a relationship with jesus and so let me just say this by way of introduction what it really means to have a relationship with jesus say for instance in my life i was raised by a single mom my dad checked out when i was seven so i was raised in a project five siblings when i turned 16 I dropped out of high school. For the next four years of my life, I managed a pool room. My life, passion, and goal at the age of 20 was to be a professional pool player. And so people ask me sometimes, do you play any sport? My answer is normally, yes, eight ball. And so I really just gambled on that table and stayed in and out of trouble. But when I was 20 years old, someone invited me to church. Never owned a Bible, never been to Bible study, never been to an evening worship, couple of Sunday morning services, But I went and had the privilege to sit under someone who made clear the gospel. And I'm telling you, as Jay Strack says, that God stepped out of heaven and that Sunday evening stepped into my heart. And I'm telling you, he changed the direction of my life. By the way, I quit school because I wouldn't give a public book report. And then I get saved and I've been reporting ever since. For 43 years, 
I've been preaching. I preached four services a Sunday for 17 years at First Woodstock of the 33 years that I was there. So what, what does it mean to be a Christian? When you say you, you came to Christ that night, you, you were saved. Jesus said, you must be born again or you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean? And then I'm going to show you in the text. Three things in particular. Number one, means your sins are forgiven. I mean, it means that Jesus Christ, doesn't matter what you've done. Sometimes a person says to me, I, I don't know if I can be forgiven. You don't know how bad of things I've done. To which I say, you're your attention's in the wrong place. It's not what you've done that's so bad. It's what God did that was so good at Calvary to make a way for us to be forgiven. So sins are forgiven. So I thank God, clean slate. God forgave me. I was studying it just this week. The Bible uses this terminology to refer to a person being saved. It says they're justified freely. The word justified means just as though you've never sinned. In other words, God takes your sin, puts them to his account, and he takes his righteousness, puts it to your account. So my sins have been forgiven. Number two, he's come to live within my life. My dad checked out when I was seven, but the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 5, the Bible says, he will never leave you and never forsake you. Adrian Rogers put it this way, my heart is not a hotel. He don't check in and check out. When Jesus Christ comes into someone's life, he comes in as a permanent forever resident. And that's exactly what he did. Now, being a man, hanging out in a pool room, thinking I was tough, here was my mindset. I don't know that I can hang out with these guys. I don't know that I can hold out. I don't know that I can live the Christian life. But here's what I had to come to learn. It isn't me living for Jesus. It's me yielding my life to Jesus and letting Jesus live his life through me. And so it's the overflowing life. Uh, when they baptized a moment ago, he said, you're baptized, really it's into the likeness of his death, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. And that's exactly what we just saw and heard. But then number three, is though it's not enough that Jesus forgave me my sins, that he's come to live in my life, the Bible also teaches that he's given me the gift of life everlasting. I was privileged to be invited to Billy Graham's funeral. They quoted D.L. Moody and Billy Graham owned this saying as his own. But when his son, Franklin, got up to do his daddy's funeral, he said, Daddy said this to me just a few days before he died. Franklin, people are going to see my name in the obituary column, and they're going to say that Billy Graham is dead. Remind them, I'm not dead. I'm more alive than I've ever been. That's the hope of the cross. It's what we just sang about, the hope of the resurrection. So with that in mind, I want you to listen. I'll pick up at verse 3 since I quoted verses 1 and 2. So listen to this benefit of 5. He lays his pen down. Here's the five things he says. Number one, who forgives all our iniquity, who heals all our diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, and who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. You know, to really understand and appreciate what's happening here, you know, need to know a little bit about the context. The psalmist, and it happens to be identified as David in this passage, he has grown sluggish in his worship. Uh, I'm just going to make a general statement. 
COVID, like it or not, has done a number, not just on our nation, but on the world. When a person is reserved to their own home for months or some places around the world where our missionaries are that I communicate with, uh, they can't even go out unless they've got a letter and then it's only for the market. So they're in for just months on end. It, it can cause you after a while, you didn't ask for this, to become somewhat sluggish. In fact, like it or not, you know what they're saying? They're saying that somewhere between 32 and 50% of the people who went to church before COVID will not be coming back. I hope they're wrong, but they're the leading pollsters in the world. So, so it's really done a number. So for whatever reason in the psalmist's life, and he doesn't identify it, he's grown sluggish in his worship. So this is what we refer to in the language of the Old Testament as a self-transcendent prayer. And you say, what is a self-transcendent prayer? It is where the psalmist is having a talk with his soul. But there's nobody here but us and God. So I want to ask you a question. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but here it is. Do you ever talk to yourself? Now, thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I get up in the morning and study. I have a prayer journal that I go through, and uh, I do some devotion, scripture reading. And then after a while, I go out for a long walk. I ran for 40 years and now, thanks to my knees, it's speed walking, but nonetheless, and I think through my day, I pray through my day, had a lot of things on my heart this morning as I normally do, but let me tell you something else about this particular prayer. There's, this is un, unusual, not a single request in it. Let me ask you something. Did you pray this morning? Can you say that when you prayed this morning, you did not have one single request? Everything you did was bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Thank you for your benefits. It's hard to do that. There's just so many needs. And so God's working his heart. So this self-transcendent prayer, he's actually having a talk with his own soul. And, and really what he's doing, it's like he's trying to motivate himself. He's, he, he's sluggish and he says, I, I just need to get up and worship. How many of you have ever been to church when you didn't feel like it? Well, I hope you're not saying, you mean like now? <laughs> but anyway, uh, that attitude. But then when you leave, you say, I'm grateful to God that I came. God met me right at the point of my need. And so the psalmist is, is speaking to himself, and he starts with adoration, and it's all blessing. And the word blessed there is the word for praise. So what they were doing is praising. I think the psalmist would have been thrilled to be part of our worship just a moment ago. Uh, I got excited, to be honest. I was thinking, if I was young as this young girl here on the right, I would be jumping too while she's singing. But instead, I'm just going to jump inside and applaud along with her. So he's blessed the Lord. It's a uh, self-transcending itself. David speaks to his soul, and he blesses God. And he says, with all that's within me, look at me for a moment. You ever heard somebody say, you get out of worship what you put in it? This is wholehearted worship. It's with every fiber of my being, with all that is within me. My mind is part of the service. My heart is part of the worship. I'm here physically, emotionally. I'm really engaged. And I'm telling you, it's in that context. I believe God will meet you at the point of your deepest need. And then he talks about the benefits, which the benefits of what God has done for us serve as a great aid to worship. It's kind of like I want to say these things and sing these things that I may never forget what Christ has done for me. I like to remind people that if you're not careful, you'll get over getting saved. You'll forget what it was like to be lost. And I'll tell you, it will hinder your worship and make your soul sluggish. So there's the adoration. But then let's dive in in, in our time we've got together. Look at these other words. 
The second word I deal with is the word foundation. He simply says in verse number three, he forgives all your iniquity. Forgives your iniquities. Pastor Johnny, is that a big deal? Well, let me answer it and you tell me. The word forgive is used in the scripture only as God's forgiveness of sinners. So God forgives sinners. It's a word that speaks of, in this context, the psalmist would use three words. He would use sin, transgression, and iniquity. Sin means I missed the mark in my life. Uh, Transgression means I overstepped God's law. Iniquity is an an ingrained perversity. In other words, we come into this world, believe it or not, based on the authority of Almighty God, we're twisted in our view of who God is. That's why when somebody comes to a service and maybe they hear the gospel, they say, I just don't get it. I don't know that I believe that. I want to tell you until the Lord Jesus Christ uses the gospel and God the Holy Spirit lifts the lights and and removes the blinders from our eyes and shows us the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ, our, our, our lives are veiled to the gospel, the scripture says. And so he sees himself as being forgiven So as a sinner, he's been forgiven. Uh, Eight of the 33 years I was at Woodstock, uh, the governor of Georgia was Sonny Perdue. Sonny Perdue not only attended Woodstock for eight years, he taught a couple's Bible study class. And so contrary to what some people think about, some people, he's a very godly man. And both his kids are in ministry. He's just been a lot to me. But we had a lady in our church that had a really jaded past. Uh, This lady... Uh, this dates me, used to own a go-go club. I mean, what's a go-go club? Not good. But anyway, bottom line is uh, somewhat of a house of, of ill repute, a house of prostitution. Um, go-go dancers in the windows trying to uh, draw men in. But then somebody started sharing the gospel with her, actually going down there, asking her to come outside, share the gospel. I've heard a story over and over again. Her name is Iris Blue. Iris said that she knelt one night on the sidewalk. She said every time she thinks about this, she can feel the vibration from the music in the go-go club. She said, I knelt a tramp and I stood a child of God. God radically changed her life. And so you need to know that we're not talking about just overnight. I'm talking about dozens of years. She has traveled around the world sharing her story of how Christ changed her life. So she came to me one time and asked me a question. She said, do you think you could ask the governor to pardon me, to give me a pardon? I've never been involved in anything like that. I've heard where the president and governors, before they leave office, have that opportunity to pardon people. So anyway, we started the process. He said, tell her to write her story and make the request. So I gave it to the governor. And the governor was near the end of his term. And the bottom line, time ran out before he could pull it off. But I got involved in it, so I began to learn something of it, and it really spoke to me. Did you know that in order to receive a pardon in the United States from a governor or a president, you must, first of all, acknowledge that you were guilty? There can be no pardon given unless you acknowledge your guilt. Did you know on the authority of Almighty God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, hear me carefully, no one can ever be pardoned until you acknowledge that you're guilty. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It said there's no, none good, no, not one. Occasionally you tell someone, you know, uh, you're given the gospel and you say, uh, do you realize you're a sinner? 
And it's not unusual for somebody to say, well, I'm not that bad. (laughs) Okay, do you realize uh, all you got to do is commit a sin to be a sinner? And I think we, uh, all I can, let me just say this. When the gospel was shared with me, no convincing was needed, all right? When somebody said, you realize you're a sinner, I'm thinking, are you kidding? Good night. Of course I do. And, And so that was it. I had to admit that I was guilty in order to receive a pardon. But let me give you another statement about forgiveness, and then we'll move on. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the idea of forgiveness is to take away and put somewhere else. Did you hear that? To take away and to put somewhere else. So I didn't read this far, but in verse number 10 of Psalms 103, the Bible says he has not dealt with, dealt with us according to our sin. Well, the question, if God has not dealt with us according to our sin, who did he deal with? He dealt with Jesus. Uh, it's a big word. It's a big word, but the church ought to know it. Why? Because it's in the Bible. But in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is our propitiation, not just for our sins, but for the sins of the world. Why, why propitiation? It's a word that means that the judgment I deserved, God gave it to his son. Here's what it translates. Wrath absorber, wrath absorber. In other words, it's not that God turned the wrath away from us. It's that God turned the wrath on his son. So if you want to really have something to sing about, and that's why I get so excited when people are singing about what he's done to bring about salvation in my life. Uh, Jesus received the punishment that Johnny Hunt deserved. And you say, well, well we're, we're, we've got it made then, haven't we? Yeah, if you receive his gift of forgiveness. And if not, that wrath of God still abides on us. And listen to this. Nor, same verse, nor has he punished us according to our iniquity. So if God's not punished me for my sin, who got punished for my sins? Are y'all with me? Jesus got punished for our sins. So the Bible begins by saying, listen, your soul has grown sluggish. Whatever maybe has just gotten you not where you felt you were in your relationship with God I want to remind you of the benefits of knowing Almighty God. Number one is he forgives all your sin. And so he's getting excited about that. Number three is the word restoration. He heals all your diseases. In Luke chapter 6, verse 17 and following, the Bible gives this running account where Jesus is in the region of Capernaum. And the Bible says he is healing all types of diseases. And you may say, well, what is it that's significant about that? Well, some of the diseases that the Bible would reference is guilt, fear, doubt, depression, anger, lust, hate, jealousy, greed. I uh, do a men's conference every year at Woodstock. I started it uh, Right at 29 years ago, I do it on Super Bowl Sunday weekend. I just, I just felt that uh, I wanted to really influence the men where I lived. And I never dreamed what would happen that has happened. And that is, it's become, it's the largest men's conference in a local church in the United States. Last year, 31,000 followers online and 5,000 were in the room. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible, the men that have joined us in that. And the reason we had to go online, we couldn't hold them in the room. 12,000 men showed up. 12,000. I mean, we seat 7,000. I mean, so bottom line is, I mean, God just raised up all these, these men to come. So a couple of years ago, we, we did a theme called Prison Break. And, and so what we do, we have a team at our church, and they build the stage out 
to match the theme. So if you'd have come in our church, we had these real high barbed wire fences up on the platform. I mean, real deals. We, we actually had the lights like they use in a penitentiary. I don't know where they got those from. And, and it, it really had the scene like you were, I was standing in front of a prison preaching. But I had them to install a door. And the door was a reminder that when you come to Jesus Christ, God sets you free of your past, of your sins. But let me tell you what I noticed, and I really reminded men of this, and some of you men, some of you women may be struggling with the same. Even though God set you free and you came out, look at me. You're still dragging the ball and chain. You, you still are living under the guilt of your past. Jesus came not only to release you of the grip of sin, he came to release you of the guilt of sin. He actually says that he cleanses your conscience with the blood of Christ so that your minds will be free and you can know that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But then my favorite is the next word, verse 4, redemption. Who redeems your life from destruction. A little word simply means I've been rescued. It, re it refers to the consequences of God's healing. He redeems your life from going to waste. Now, I don't ask a question. I don't think you can answer it, but you can reflect on it. I don't know how long you've known Christ, but here's the question. Where would you be today had Jesus not intersected your life and changed you when he did? Jesus didn't just save us from our sin. He saved us from ourself. See, see we can self-destruct. I, uh, I mentioned the pool room. I managed the pool room for four years. And uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said when he got saved, he lost 80% of his vocabulary. And that's how I felt coming out of the pool hall. Had quite a uh, vocabulary. And so, um, so I was gone. So listen to what happened. I, I got converted in January, this is what dates me. I'm, I'm 68 years old now. I was 20 when I got converted, 48 years ago. Time flies. And so I um, was converted on a snowy Sunday night, Wilmington, North Carolina is where I was raised. I was born in Lumberton. I'm a Native American. Lumbee. Everybody's asking, what kind of Indian are you? Others are saying, does he go to the tanning bed every day? All right, so um, trying to figure it out. Three years after I was converted, I'd never owned a Bible in my life. Three years, I started pastoring my first church. That's scary. I, I tell everybody, God, push me in the deep end. So that means I went off, went off to Gardner Webb College in the western part of North Carolina, then finished there, pastored the whole time, and went over to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and pastored the whole time I was there. And so, long story short, I've been out of Wilmington, away from Wilmington, for 45 years, all right, 45 years. So that means that I've lost connectivity with most of the people I was raised with. Not all, but most. I mean, you never see each other. We're different paths, different lives. But one of my cousins uh, started showing real interest in the gospel. He's a really tough guy. His name's James Oxendine. And so uh, I had the opportunity to, to invite him to come hear me preach in Scotts Hill Baptist Church just a couple of years ago. And that night when he came, uh, Jesus changed James's life. He joined Northside Baptist Church, was baptized there. He and Maryland started going regularly. But sin had done a number on him. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you know sin will do a number on you? 
Please, please hear me. Somebody needs to hear that. Sin will do a number on you. And so it did a number on him. And so a couple years later, James Ray was diagnosed with cirrhosis of the liver, and it was not long. And so we spent some really precious time together trying to disciple him. And so um, when he passed away, Marilyn called me and asked me if I'd do the funeral. Uh, let me tell you what happened at the funeral. I was not expecting this. When I got there, the place was full, but it was full of my old buddies. It was like a pool room reunion. And I'm just thinking, good night. So they lined up. You, you've been in this situation. Somebody asked me last night, uh, my friend from France, asked me last night, said, uh, man, you run into people everywhere. You travel all over the world. Do you know everybody you see? And of course not. I can't. Uh, so, so bottom line is they were lined up and they'd come forward and say, hey, John, do you remember me? And I would look. and It had been over 40 years and I'd think, help me. And, and Ronnie, you know, Ron, Ronnie, Ron, Ronnie Smith. And, and then here's what you do. You check it out and you say, don't fit in. Ronnie, how in the, we'd embrace him. Good night, I used to hang out with him, but 40 years ago. And so I, I spoke to all of them. I shared the gospel and then I said this. Here's what I said at the end of service. Never done it in my entire life. I said, we're going to leave here and we're going to Greenlawn Cemetery. That's where we're going to bury James. By the way, my mother's buried there. Uh, but the preacher told me just a moment ago, I've been gone for so long, there, there's a brand new seafood buffet next to the church. Any of my old buddies that, that will come back, I want to buy you dinner. So after the cemetery, meet me here, I'll buy you dinner. And then I got to thinking, why well, there's a lot of people there? One of them is going to take me up on this. Guess what? 40 came. Are you with me? 40 of my friends came. There was only one problem. Every one of them wanted to sit at my table. You say, where are you going with this, Johnny? Or right, listen to me carefully. When I got saved, hustling pool, and Jesus changed my life, you know, out at Red Fox Saloon, getting drunk a couple of nights a week, rested for stealing, rested for fighting. Somebody says, you're not very tall. I'm wound tight. Uh, bottom line, rested for drunk driving. I mean, I'm not, I'm ashamed of that, but that was my life before Christ. And so, when you get saved out of that type of life, people just begin to talk. Man, what in the world happened to that guy? Good night. Some even wanted to say, man, that's what I think I need in my life. And so I saw a lot of my friends, even the owner of the pool room, I led him to faith in Christ, J.C. Bullard. But most of the people would ask you what had happened, and you'd tell them, and they wouldn't respond. So I have a theory. They didn't respond verbally, but they responded. Here's what they said. I said, Jesus changed my life. Their thought? We'll see. They ain't got to hear anything. They're going to watch to see. Does Christ change lives? So I would witness to them. But I was a new believer and they'd listen some. But when I went back to do that funeral, I'd been saved over 40 years. I believe the reason so many of them came, they thought, I believe he's serious. <laughs> he's he been hanging in there. You know what I mean? I mean, he didn't just walk with the Lord for a week. He didn't just say something happened last week. The man's embraced something. He's had time to abandon this. But the truth is, repentance, genuine repentance, is never temporary. It is always eternal. God changes me forever. Any man in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. That means God changes your want-tos. And he changed my life. So he said, he saved me from a life of destruction. So you, you, you don't know. 
I'll tell you, where do you think you'd have been, John? I'd either be in prison or in hell. You with me? And I almost made my way to hell before I got saved. And I'll leave the story there. You want to read it? From the pool room to the pulpit. Check it out. 27 pages. Just my life before I came to faith in Christ. Quickly on these last two. Number, number six is compassion. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. It means God lavishes positive blessings on you as well. Um, Augustine wrote in the 300s. I ha- I've had the privilege. This is just kind of unusual. I've never said this before in my life. I was over in North Africa in the Middle East a couple of years ago. And I actually went to the church that Augustine in the 300s preached in. Just foundation. You know one thing that's left there? The seat of Augustine. So you ought to be impressed, Pastor. I sat in Augustine's seat. So is there something big about it? Well, let me just tell you this. In 333, it was there where I sat that they decided these are the books of the canon that are inspired. It was a big deal. He's blessed us. How can God take a boy out of a project, high school dropout, no father involved in his life, give him a men's ministry to everybody else's father? Augustine said this. This is the best I've ever heard in my life. God has been good to me. Listen to the language. He's given me more than I need, but he's shown me others that need it. How about Martin Luther? I've held many things in my hands. I've lost it all. But everything I've placed in his hands, I still possess. He's crowned us. Then last of all, I'm through. Sort of. Who satisfies your mouth. Now, if you're a student, a good student of the Bible, I believe all of you are. But I'm going to show you something that it's almost like throwing you a curve. It's one of the the most different translations that I know of anywhere in my Bible. So let me read it, and then I'll comment, and I'm through. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. The word mouth there in the Hebrew translates old age or duration of years. Now, I want you to listen. An 80-year-old lady came up to me after, Pastor, and she was crying. And she said, young man, (laughs) say that again. And she said, um, you will never know this side of heaven how you encouraged this older lady today. I'm 80. And she was weeping. And it really convinced me that God said something. And it was this verse that God said something. No matter how old we become, God can satisfy the needs of our life and the spiritual desires of our heart. Let me tell you what I wrote when I was writing this sermon. I wrote these words in bold print. This passage describes a happy old person. I do senior adult conferences. I mentioned this in the last service, and my ADD kicked in, and I didn't say anything else about it. Somebody asked me one time, said, do you ever preach and forget what you're going to say next? Yes. What do you do? Keep preaching till I remember <laughs> and stay. So if I get long, my wife says, he's forgotten. Senior adults were asked recently, if you could live life over again, what would you do differently? Number one, they said we'd reflect more. I I translate reflecting, looking out a window with no agenda and thinking about where you are, where you've been, and where you would like to see God take you before this life is over. 
Number two, they said we would invest more in that which would outlast us. And number three, they said we take greater risk. You, you know what the bottom line is? Some of us get to an age, and God has been so good to us, but you know what we do to our own harm and our Christian walk? We play it too safe. We play it too safe. Nobody's ever done anything great that didn't take somewhat of a risk to really just trust God and believe him. And so he said he satisfies no matter how old they become. Something's happening in this passage. You see it? So that your youth is renewed like eagles. Let me tell you what I know about this passage. David is aged. He's older. He's reflective. And he's thinking back of when he was young. And he says, God can satisfy me and actually once again renew my life with youthfulness just like he does the eagle. I'm going to give you a word, and if you want to study this more, because I'm going to close the sermon, but here it is. It's molting, M-O-L-T-I-N-G. If you were to Google that word, M-O-L-T, it's something that happens to an eagle. It'll remind you that when eagles are younger, they build their nest on the highest peak. Uh, they enjoy a good storm. They fly into the storm, allow the wind to cause them to rise above the storm. But when they get older, you won't find them there. Let me tell you where you'll find an eagle when they're older. In a valley by a brook, walking slowly. But something's happening while they're in that valley. They're losing their wings. But almost unnoticing to them, it is innate because of the creator, God, they grow new wings. That's what he's saying. He's saying we get old and we begin to lose some of our wings. But while we walk in those places and reflect, God grows new wings. Is exactly what Isaiah chapter 40 means. So let's put it in this context. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know what that is? He gives them the wings of an eagle. So at 68, I don't want to slow down. My friend Charles Stanley announced he was going to step away from his church last week. He turns 88 the last, last of this month, but he's still leading one of the largest television ministries the world's ever known within touch. He says he doesn't see retirement in the Bible. Occasionally somebody says to the pastor, Pastor, <clears throat> you need to just let the young people take over. I've kind of done my thing here, and my, I, I'm sort of through. No. You're not through. When you're through, uh, we will be very much aware of it. They'll even write an article in the paper about it. And we'll hold a special service when you're through. But until then, you're not through. Robbie Zacharias was a close personal friend, just died recently. Robbie, the last time he spoke for me, said this. He said, I've, in my research, I found that a, a man's and woman's most a leader, most productive years of service is their 60s. And the second most productive years of a leader is their 70s. You can't hardly remember when there was a president other than Obama that was not in their 70s that led the United States, leading the largest free world, and they're in their 70s, leaders. It's no time to sit down. My Nephew was here last service, and I didn't say it, and I want to say it now. I said it was my last story, but it was close. My favorite character, and this is it, favorite character in the Bible is Caleb. 
Caleb. Why? I wrote this one morning. Caleb's 85 years old. You can find this in Joshua 14. He's 85. And here's what he said. He's, he's talking to Joshua. He said, I'm as strong today as I was then. When is then? When he was 40. So he was 85 years old. He was as strong. So what was happening is Joshua was dillying out the land. You know, they conquered the promised land. It's God's land. And they started giving it. You go there today. If I take you to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is the land of Dan. So why'd you bring that up? There's 12 tribes of Israel. All of the land is known. There's Judah. Ephraim. So the lands were still named by that in those regions when you go and study in the land of Israel. So they asked Caleb, Caleb, what would you like? And here's what he said. I, I want you to give me the mountains. What's he talking about? Hebron. What, what do we know about Hebron? That's where he started. He said, I, I want this land and I want to be there where the giants are. And he said, maybe God will let me Take on one more giant. He's 85. So here's my, my writing. I love Caleb because Caleb wanted when he was finishing what he wanted when he started. You know why some of our lives go sideways? Because we no longer want in our walk with God what we wanted when we got started. How about you? Do you love him more back then than you do now? Were there a time that you were, quote, on fire, zealous in your faith with God, your commitment to Jesus Christ, the one who has secured your eternity for you? If not, today would be a great day to come home. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for our time together. Speak deep into our hearts in this invitation. Have your way in each of our lives. With heads bowed and eyes closed, whether you're in this room or you're watching by Internet, or if you're watching by television, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus. The single greatest decision you'll ever make is when you turn from your sins, place your faith in Christ. Question is, if you were to die today, do you have the calm assurance that you would spend eternity with Jesus? If not, and you say, God's been dealing with me, God's been speaking to me, I need to surrender my life. If that's your sincere desire, why don't you do it right now? Why don't you just say to the Lord, if this is in your heart, Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that I cannot save myself. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me and have mercy on me. Thank you this morning for hearing my prayer and for saving me. Now help me to live the rest of my life for you. I pray you've made that type of commitment in your heart and that you'll live for him and follow him. And the pastor will tell you more about that in just a moment. And even in this room, I hope that's become a reality in your life. Thank you so much, Brother Johnny. What a wonderful message. Just as good the second time around. In fact, it was different. And so that was a blessing for me as well. You prayed that prayer, Brother Johnny, just a few moments ago. We want to know about that. We, we need to know so we can help you. And so what we have for you is a welcome card. And you were told about it at the first the service. And I'd like for you to take this. Uh, those who are here, it's on your pew. You can just pick it up and uh, follow along with me. For those of you who are online, you can go on Cross Life Church 
facebook.com slash welcome card and download it and communicate with us. There's a place on the front, of course, for you to fill out your name and address. And uh, on the back, this is my response to God's word today. What an encouragement it, it always is to, to have things that you write about the message and about the service, about the worship. They're very positive, what you got out of the message. And then also prayer requests. We take that faithfully, those requests faithfully to the Lord uh, every single week as a staff, put them in the prayer room as well. But then on the right-hand side, I want you to notice my decision today. And so if you prayed that prayer just a few moments ago with Brother Johnny, you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And so as you prayed that prayer, we need to know about that so we can help you. We can tell you the next step. We can send you some literature. Um, it may be in the mail. And uh, you can then see what the next steps that you need to take as a believer in Christ. So put a little check in that box and help us and just communicate with us so we can begin that relationship. In fact, if you're here with us for the first time and even if you don't have a prayer request and you do not uh, have made a you have not made a decision this morning, we still want uh, a record of your visit. And so if you're online, do the same thing. Just fill out the card. Let us know that you were here so we can begin that relationship with you. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.